Lonely song, the song's for you. I don't know about you, but I've thought and taught and felt for a long time that there had to be absolute truth. That there's something that just absolutely is timelessly always true. That there's a timeless truth. And there is in us that which yearns for something new all the time, something fresh. It drives us externally. When you think about the things that we do externally, we're always looking for something new. It's most common in advertising. New hairdo, new fashions, new shoes. How many times do you see new and improved plastered on something? But look at, just as an example, look at the power of the new car smell over our ability to think clearly, to think logically. I knew a guy years and years and years ago, probably a long time ago, maybe 1975, 74, 75, I met him. And he bought a new car every year. Now, anybody who knows, understands finance or financing, understands that buying a new car every year is crazy. Because what you're doing is basically throwing money away. There's nothing wrong with the car after a year for most people. They drive a car 10, 12,000 miles in a year. Some people do. Some people drive them more. Some people drive them less. But I think the national average is about 12,000 miles a year, so that's about 1,000 miles a month. 12,000 miles a car is pretty much breaking in, and then you sell it. And what you take off the top of that is all the depreciation that happens when you drive off the lot, which is usually thousands of dollars right there, just driving off the lot. The car has one mile on it, but because you owned it and drove it, it is now worth thousands of dollars less because the dealer had to get his money and the, these people had to get their money and the finance people had to get their money and everybody had to get their money. And so that money came from you. And you do that every year and you're kind of going backwards, unless, of course, you're making a lot of money and you can afford to do that every year. And then you're going backwards anyway, because that's money that you could have been using on something else or you could have been putting toward your retirement or you could have been investing or you could have been doing a, a hundred other things with just because you can afford something doesn't mean you should have it this is one of the things that we're suffering from here in America we think that just because someone will give us something and let us pay for it on time that we think we should have it just because you can afford a bigger house or a better car doesn't mean that it's a good idea to have a bigger house or a better car just because someone will loan you the money to have it doesn't mean that you can afford to have it so we see that debt continues to increase as our economy spirals out of control while people mortgage their future for something new that will be old before it's paid off. Before most things are even paid for, it, they're old. Then we want something new. We want the latest thing. This guy said, I just love that new car smell. And I thought, well, then what you should do is go and buy a spray of new car smell and spray it in your car every couple of months. I'm sure there is such a thing. If there's not, then we need to get it going here because this is crazy. We don't understand ourselves. We don't understand that our olfactory senses are connected more closely to our memory than any other sense that we have. You smell biscuits baking, you smell pancakes, you smell this, or you smell that, and it can instantly take you someplace in your memory. Most of those places that we call good are comforting places. And most of those places will have to do with food. So you'll smell some kind of food and it'll be comforting to you. And you'll think about some time when you were comfortable and everything was good. And then you crave that. Though we crave the new externally, we resist it internally. We don't like things new inside of us. We only want things new outside of us, around us. New shoes, new car, new house, new this, new that, new friends, new restaurant. But internally we resist it. Now this is an outer reflection of our inner contradiction. In Luke chapter 5 verses 38 and 39 it says, But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. For he says, The old is good enough. 
We're in a position where good enough isn't good enough for us anymore. Your life, as it has been, hopefully isn't good enough for you anymore. Hopefully, you're looking at it like, this isn't good enough. It needs to be different. Not better, but different. A recent email that I received contained this. I feel more and more certain in my heart that the work is the real thing. No matter how many people think I am weird or wrong, it works for me. So clearly this is coming from a person who is taking abuse from other people. I talked to someone on the internet yesterday, on Skype. I'll be going to Macedonia next month. And so I was talking to one of the people in Macedonia. And she said that they had some friends who they were worried about them and thought they were in a cult. And she was mystified by this. She said, our lives are changing. Our lives are getting better. Everybody notices it. But these people who are very close to us, our friends, are afraid that we're in a cult. She said, I don't understand that. And I said, well, I understand it. They're losing you. And they had influence and control in your life. And now they don't so much anymore. You're into something. You're doing something that is actually making your life different. And that is threatening to other people. It's tremendously threatening to other people for two reasons. One is they lose control over you. And if they lose control over you, they may lose you. And if they love you and they're your friends, then they fear. And when people are afraid, understand that fear is a negative emotion. And when people are negative, they become violent. And what that means is they attack you. Now, they can't attack you directly and say, you're a bad person because they love you. What they have to do is say, you're doing bad things. And it's making you change in ways that make me afraid. And I know that you're a good person, so someone else must be doing that to you. Someone else must be controlling you. No matter how many times the people will tell the other people, no, this is what I want to do, this is what I'm doing, they won't believe it. They think it must be mind control because they know that there's no way that they are going to do what they need to do to make their lives different. They know that they can't do it. They know that they won't do it. They know that they're too lazy. They know that they don't have what it takes. They know that they're not willing to make the effort. And when they see someone who is willing to make the effort, it convicts them of their laziness. It convicts them of their fear. It convicts them of their negativity. And when we feel convicted, we feel attacked. And when we feel attacked and we're negative, then we strike back violently. Now, whether or not she understood that whole thing or not, I don't know. But this other person who wrote, I feel more and more certain in my heart that the work is the real thing, no matter how many people think I'm weird or wrong, works for me. There's a huge threat to society when an individual thinks for himself. We can't imagine people thinking for themselves, so we imagine that someone else must be thinking for them. What makes people think someone is weird or wrong for following their heart, for doing what's best for them? Maybe the better question is, what makes us think? Not what makes us think somebody's wrong, what makes us think? What is it that makes us think? We think from our old associations. Our thoughts and feelings come out of them. They're controlled by old associations that have been laid down in us from our earliest years. And that's really what this saying from the gospel is, old wine and old wineskins. The old is good enough. We have these old associations and they're good enough. We have these old memories and they're good enough. We have these old comfortable foods that we used to eat and they're good enough. We have these old places we used to go and they're good enough. We have these old friends and they're good enough. <laughs> So the old is good enough. Our old associations are laid down, as I said, from our earliest childhood, and they're good enough. There was a time when those old associations weren't old. And this is one of the things that we don't think much about. We talk about old associations. We think, oh, we need to get new associations. We need to get rid of these old associations. Stop thinking from these old associations. But we don't remember that there was a time when those old associations weren't old. They were fresh. They were new. They were the truth by which we lived our lives. They were the new wine in new wineskins. 
One of the things that brought this to my attention was something that Steve said when he was talking to his niece, and who is 20-some, 22 years old or something. You know, when you're 22, you know everything. You got it all figured out. It's only when you get to be about 40 that you start to realize that you don't have it all figured out. When you get to 50, then you think, oh, my. When you get to 60, you think, oh, what's the point? <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to get it figured out. But you look back to the time when you were 20 and how you had it all figured out, and it's a little embarrassing. If you're close to 50, you can even look back to the time you were 20, and it can be a little embarrassing. Trust me when I say it gets more embarrassing the older you get. And he's talking to his niece, and she wanted to know what he, what, what he, what you thought about what she believed. Was that it? What he thought about what she believed. She told him what she believed. And of course, what she believed had nothing to do with her. It had nothing whatever to do with her. It was a package. People believe packages. People don't believe things. They believe packages. They go someplace and they buy the package. You remember when you went to the Assemblies of God Church? You bought the package, didn't you? The whole package. Everything. And when you went to the Lutheran Church, you bought the package. And when you went to whatever, the Catholic Church, you bought the package. And when you went to the mosque, you bought the package. And when you went to the temple, you bought the package. What does it mean you bought the package? It means you believed what they believed. It all made sense. It was all fresh. It was all new. It wasn't old associations for you. It was all fresh and new. And you bought the package. How much did you think about everything that was in the package? Well, I'll tell you how much. You buy a package of Cheerios and you don't think about every little Cheerio in there. And you don't think about how they got there and where they came from and who made them and what else is in there. You maybe, 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 if you're really astute, you maybe read the label on things when you shop. Most people do not. They look, it says organic, then some buy because they bought the organic package. They look, it says new and improved, they buy that because it's new and improved. They bought that package. But it's all based on old association. The old associations weren't always new. They used to be the truth, the truth that we lived our lives by. They used to be the new wine and new wineskins. But what we don't understand is that we never really examined them. We just bought the package. It's been said truths last only for a certain time and ultimately become worn out. And that's true. It's like shoes. You're not wearing your first pair of shoes. The reason you're not wearing your first pair of shoes is not because they're worn out or maybe you did wear them out, but they won't fit you anymore. And throughout your life, until a certain point, you have to continue to buy new shoes that are different sizes because they don't fit you anymore. We call that growing physically. But then there comes a time when we stop growing physically. Right around the same time, we also stop growing psychologically, mentally, internally. When I was in Guatemala learning Spanish, I remember someone telling me that the part of your brain that learns languages starts to become dormant around 17 years old. Just goes to sleep. The reason being, it's no longer necessary. By the time you're 17, you've got your language. You may add to it a little bit, take away from it a little bit, pick up something here and pick up something there. But essentially, all of the energy and skill that you needed to learn a language, if you're not still using it, it starts to go to sleep, starts to become dormant. I don't remember how old I was. I was probably close to 50 when I was learning Spanish in Guatemala, and I realized how difficult it was for me compared to the youngsters. They were picking it up very quickly, and I thought, oh my God, I'll never get this. I learned it, but it was hard. While the kids were out playing, and all the teenagers and 20-year-olds were out playing, I was studying because this part of my brain had just gone to sleep, and I had to wake it up again. And it took a tremendous amount of effort to wake it up. 
And once you wake it up, you really don't want it to go to sleep again because you realize that it could be even more difficult to wake it up the next time. So in a sense, the truths become worn out for us because, and we don't like hearing this, we want it to be that, no, this is the truth and it will always be the truth. This is what I believe, this is what I've always believed, this is what my mother believed and my father believed. Give me that old time religion, it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. It's good enough for Moses, it's good enough for me. You've heard that song, give me that old time religion. It was good enough. The old was good enough. It's exactly what this says. No one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new, for he says, the old is good enough. It was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. The problem is, it's not working in our world. It's not working for anyone in our world. It's not working for you, and it's not working for anyone else. And the proof of that is, our world is not working. The old ways of doing things are not good enough. The environment really is getting worse. There really is an energy crisis. There really is a problem with the economy. There really is a problem with continual warring and killing each other. There really is a problem with taking all of our money and spending it on punching holes and blowing up other people instead of taking care of our own people. There really is something wrong with that. There really is a problem with that. It's not imaginary. It's real. We really are destroying our planet. It's not imaginary. It's real. We really are destroying each other. It's not imaginary. It's real. We like our truths to be absolute, unchangeable, so that once we figure them out, we never have to think about them again. Once we buy the package, we want that package to last forever. It's not a new car, after all. We just want that package to last forever. That's an internal thing. We want it to last forever. We don't ever want to have to change again. We don't mind changing outside. We don't mind getting a new car, new house, new clothes, new, 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 improved. We like that. We're driven by that. But internally, we're not driven by that. Our truths, our associations, no matter how fresh they were, grow old and outdated down here. Why is that? Because there is no timeless truth in time. The only absolute truth is outside of time. It is beyond time, beyond us. In time, there is no timeless truth. So we move from truth to truth, and truth really does become worn out. A truth really does become too small for you. A truth really does become outdated for you. What esoteric teachings are all about is new truth, which makes for new associations, which induce in us new ways of thinking. What this is all about, this whole idea of metanoia, is all about a new way of thinking. A new way of thinking is terribly threatening to people. They'll call you names. They will abuse you. They will think you're weird or wrong. And they will say so because they are threatened. And threatened people become violent and attack. And if they only attack verbally, mentally, emotionally, it's still an attack. Or I wouldn't be getting emails from people that said, I feel more and more certain in my heart that the work is the real thing, no matter how many people think I am weird or wrong. Think of the courage it takes to stand up against the people in your life and say, it works for me. We don't have that courage, and what we do instead is we hide it. We hide our light under the bed or under the bushel basket. We don't let it shine because we don't want to deal with the violence of other people, the hatred, the make-wrong of other people for not doing what they want us to do. And when you don't do what they want you to do, they will accuse you of being in a cult because you have left their cult. The cult of you believe what I believe, we all believe the same thing, this is our package, and if you leave this, then you're going to something bad and wrong. That's the bottom line. As we get older, we start to hate anything new. It's a gradual change, but it's noticeable if you notice. As we get older, they're just, you know, no. No, I don't, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to go there. No, I don't want to try that. No, I like this food. I don't want to try that food. The old is good enough. We hate anything new. 
Kids, not so much, because that part of their brain is still active, still going. But for us, it starts to become dormant. We don't want a new way of thinking, because the old is good enough. It's difficult for us to weigh the amount of misery that comes with believing a mechanical man can think apart from his old mechanical associations. I can promise you that most of the misery in your life comes from this one thing. You believing that a mechanical man can think apart from his old associations. You believing that somehow he could be different. Somehow a mechanical man could be conscious. This is what causes the majority of the misery in our lives. Every era has its own associations. The Roaring Twenties. Flappers, the Charleston, think about it, has its own associations. The 30s, the Depression, bread lines, the Dust Bowl, Oklahoma prune pickers, you know, people came from Oklahoma headed west to find something because they had nothing there. Their land was worthless. They had nothing there. They lost everything. They moved west to try and find a way to live. That whole era, that whole decade has all of its associations. The 40s, the war, the teens, the First World War, the 40s, the Second World War, the 50s, the Korean War, the 60s, the Vietnam War, free love, drugs, psychedelics, the 70s, the 80s, every era has its associations. They're all mechanical. They act as a mold for people's thoughts. But we remain blind to it, like high school kids wearing baggy shorts that droop down to their ankles. What's the point of wearing shorts that come down to your ankles? I don't get that, you know. <laughs> I mean, see, we're laughing because we don't wear those clothes. But if you were a high school kid and you didn't wear those clothes, you wouldn't be laughing. They would be laughing at you. They wouldn't just be laughing at you, they'd be shredding you. Your life would be a misery. They would be saying things like, if it ain't baggy, it's faggy. And you wouldn't like that because it would be a direct insult to you and would be questioning your femininity or masculinity or your normalness or your ability to buy the package. Now, there was a time when baggy clothes like that would have been laughed at. But that time is gone. That was a different era. And as I said, each era has its association. What we're aiming at is changing these associations so that we can develop our own thoughts and understanding. What a concept. Develop your own thoughts and understanding. Well, well, everybody thinks they have their own thoughts. I remember this so clearly. I see this now, and I'm shocked because I remember when I did this. I'll see two girls or two boys walking down the street or somewhere, and they'll both have like the same hat or the same shirt or the same something really weird, scarf or something, and they'll have the same thing. And I remember doing this when I was a kid. I remember buying something that was outlandish and it was different, and I knew I was going to have trouble with it. People saw it because it was different. So I'd get somebody else who I know to buy it too, and we'd both wear it together, and we would support each other. And I remember one time, I think it was a scarf. I had this friend, and we bought these scarves. I was into the scarf for some reason. I had no idea what, what got into my head. I was probably in art school, so I got this scarf, and it was pretty flamboyant. So he got one too, and he was... He, th he didn't know about that. Well, we met a couple girls, and one of them said, What's up with the scarves? And he took the scarf off immediately. I knew it. I told you. <laughs> and I thought, and I felt horrible, you know, because now I'm like alone. And when you think about it, there's something in our DNA that really resists the idea of being alone. It's like, look, we're tribal. We're like monkeys. We're like apes. We want a family, a tribe, a pack. We want a herd. We want a group. That's right, safety in numbers. And if you're ostracized and you're out alone by yourself, it's terrible. You end up saying, I feel more and more certain in my heart that this work is the real thing, no matter how many people think I'm weird or wrong. You start to feel like, I have to say, I have to stand up and say, it works for me, leave me alone. But people won't leave you alone, because just as threatening as it is to have someone leave the tribe or leave the family, 
or leave the package, it's that threatening to stand on your own, to be an individual, and to think for yourself, and to understand for yourself. So what do we do? Well, we take steps toward it. We find other people who think, or who want to think, in a new way, who want to understand in a new way, who want new meaning. We seek those people out. We somehow find them, and then we search together and share what we find. So we're aiming at thinking from new associations. You'll never change the way you think if you don't first change the associations from which you think. It's just not going to happen. The thoughts and the feelings you have come out of your old associations. That's where they come from. They arise out of those things. Where do thoughts come from? Remember the first question that I asked. It would probably be a better question to ask why people think. What makes us think? What makes us think is old associations. We have them, and that's where thoughts and feelings come from. How is it that we filter out the thoughts and feelings that come to us from outside? We use our old associations to filter them out. We say yes and no according to our old associations. We say yes and no to our own thoughts according to our old associations. So thinking from new associations may sound easy, but it's not. There's a universal impulse to get away from old thoughts. That's where baggy shorts come from and other fashionable abortions. The problem is the impulse is blind. We have this impulse, we have this something driving us for something new, but we interpret it externally, not internally. And it's a blind impulse, so we just do things blindly. We go out and buy the new car. We go out and mortgage ourselves to do this, mortgage our future to do this or to do that, blindly. We're not thinking, what is this going to cost? Why do you suppose they have a 72-hour clause in state law, buyer's remorse clause? You bought it, but then you don't want it. Why? Because then you think about it after you have it. Oh my God, I've got to pay for this. Oh, well, what about this? What about that? It's called buyer's remorse. It's a real thing. It's so real that they actually had to make a law about it. Now, I promise you that if something has finally gotten into law, if it is filtered down to the bottom-feeding lawmakers of our planet, it has already saturated the entire race consciousness. If it finally got down to them, it got down to them because everybody else already knew it. So, Morris Nichols said, there actually are higher associations. That's all I want to say that he said. There actually are higher associations. This is all you really need to know. There actually are higher associations. This is what we're seeking. New meaning, new association, new ways of thinking. This is metanoia, thinking in a new way. But think about this. There actually are higher associations. There actually are higher packages than the ones that we have bought and we can trade up. You can't think for yourself now because you don't know how. But you can learn to think for yourself from people who have learned to think for themselves or who are learning to think for themselves. You'll get a lot of flack from the world on it. They'll say, well, you're not thinking for yourself. You're letting someone else think for you. What was the famous one back in the old days? You're following a man. You remember that? You're following a man. That was not the problem. That was never the problem. What they really meant to say was you're following the wrong man because you're not following me. Yeah, it's clear now, but it wasn't clear then when we first started hearing it. It was very confusing and very hurtful to have people turn against you and tell you you were wrong and you were crazy because you wanted to think for yourself, because you wanted to break out of the mold, because you wanted to think in a new way and develop something beyond what other people had. The old wasn't good enough anymore. To try to do something with no goal, no aim behind it, it's bound to be meaningless, just like baggy shorts or silly hats. I mean, let's face it, they are meaningless. Apart from the fact that they make people feel like they're in the same club, they're meaningless. How meaningful can it be to have to pull your pants up 
every two minutes if you're walking somewhere. I mean, how meaningful can that be? The harnessing of this universal impulse takes knowledge, valuation, and directed effort if it's going to succeed. This blind impulse for something new, for change, for higher truth. It's a blind impulse for us. It just happens in us. We don't understand it. We don't know where it's coming from. And so we try and satisfy it externally, where it can't ever be satisfied. But it can be satisfied internally. There is a new way of thinking that belongs to the new man. And this is the message of Buddha. This is the message of Jesus Christ. This is the message of people who woke up. Look, there is a new way of thinking that belongs to this state called the new man. This can be scary to the false personality. Very frightening. The false personality lives, moves, and has its being in the lower centers. The thought of higher centers is quite different, unbelievably different from our ordinary ways of thinking. See, the way the higher centers think, the way higher intellectual center thinks, is so different from our way of thinking that it is simply unbelievable. And this is why when you begin to approach it, people think you're weird or wrong, because it's unbelievable. It's so different from their usual vengeful, hate-filled, vicious, violent ways of thinking about themselves and other people. When you start to talk about conscious love, stand by target. You are going to be attacked. The world followed Hitler. The world crucified Jesus. Just the simple realization that we're asleep and have no permanent eye has the power to begin to create new associations about ourselves and life. When you began to really see how asleep you were, how you had no control over what you were doing, your reactions, how you reacted the same way over and over again, even after you knew that you didn't want to act like that, you knew you didn't want to drive like a maniac, and you found yourself driving like a maniac, you knew you didn't want to yell at that person and you found yourself yelling at them, you knew you didn't want to argue with your husband or wife, but you found yourself arguing with them uncontrollably. When you started to see that there was nothing you could do about that, that was different, wasn't it? Try to think in a new way from new associations that are uncomfortable to our ordinary ways of thinking, our ordinary old wine associations. Look at what I'm asking for uh, people. I'm asking you to give up what's good enough for the unknown, for pie in the sky for a dream, for a wish, for a hope. This will help if you verify what esoteric teachings are aiming at when they talk about being transformed. Thinking in a new way from new associations will bring you closer to transformation. Transformation is not becoming better. It's becoming a different order of being. If you're going to become a different order of being, I can promise you that the package that you bought, that the club that you're in, is not going to be happy with the changes. They're going to say you're weird, crazy, wrong, bad. It's inevitable. The negative social mood on the planet today has been predicted in many different ways. The stock market crashing, the economy depressing, the increase in violence and blood sport are all indicators of it. It was all predicted before it came about because the external follows the internal. Intolerance, hatred, fear, and loathing are reaching unprecedented highs in our world because the old associations are rupturing. That's exactly what's happening. They're rupturing like boils and they hurt people. And so people are striking out. This kind of foment is what it takes to jar us loose from our old associations and the mass of mechanical reactions that flow from them. We look at this as a horrible thing that's happening in the world today. But if this wasn't happening in the world today, you would not have access to this truth. You would not have access to new knowledge and new meaning and new associations. It is because things are so bad that this truth is becoming so evident and so prevalent and so meaningful. Think deeply about this. If you don't challenge your old associations and their stale, brittle thoughts, you can't progress. 
When you embrace an entirely new way of thinking, these teachings will become a source of strength and inspiration, a source of meaning that will bring you through these meaningless times. Though it is difficult now, and it's going to get more difficult, remember that it is because of the difficulty that we are receiving the help from above that we are receiving. Make hay while the sun shines. You are the best and better.